Join us in a world where you're listening to Ballistic Radio. Sit back as we discuss hard lessons from the best and brightest the personal defense and competition shooting industry has to offer. Let us help you help yourself, no matter where you are on your personal path. Ballistic Radio is brought to you by Centurion Arms. Hard-use rifles and accessories at easy day prices. Visit them online at centurionarms.com. Now here's your host, John Johnson. Welcome to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Centurion Arms. Hard-use rifles and accessories at easy day prices. Visit them online at centurionarms.com. I'm your host, John Johnson. Remember, you can always listen to past shows at ballisticradio.com and get the latest behind-the-scenes info, arguments, photos. I don't know why that word just, like, it left and came back right as I was saying it. And I'm like, blur, blur, blur. Other stuff at facebook.com slash ballisticradio. Hey, Joe. I think I finally in my groove and we're almost done. Yeah, that's generally how this works. Is like, oh, cool. I remember how. Oh, we're done. Uh, hey, guess what? What's that? This segment's also brought to you by Centurion Arms. Even if you're just a cook, a lowly, lowly cook in a world where you're just a lowly, lowly cook. Or you call in tactical nukes from your couch every night with ease. You need to know that your life-saving equipment is going to work. And Centurion Arms knows it, too. Veteran-owned and operated Centurion Arms is dedicated to producing firearms, parts, and accessories with an outstanding level of quality, functionality, and precision at prices you can afford. Whether you just need a new rail or barrel or something else to finish off your latest build, or maybe you want to take all the guesswork out and buy a complete rifle, Centurion Arms has got what you need and knows that when you need it, you need it to work. Visit CenturionArms.com today to check out all their awesome products. Centurion Arms, hard-use rifles and accessories at easy day prices. So joining us today on the show um, is one of my very favorite people, and he's a first-name people, but for different reasons than most of the other first-name people we have on. It's Kirk. Hey, Kirk. Hey, hey what's up, John? How oh, today, man? oh, I'm doing great. How are you? Good, good, brother. Um, so I will give some background for everyone listening. Uh, Kirk is one of the very best shooters that I know, um, like very, very best shooters that I know. And also one of the deepest thinkers that I know. And also one of the lowest profile, best shooters and deepest thinkers that I know, which is the whole reason that I want to have you on because it bugs me that not enough people are, are hearing what you have to say and, and, and all that, which is fine. Like I respect that and I respect those boundaries, but it's a shame and I'm trying to fix that. So, um, well, I'm glad you think so, John. Well, the same way about you. Aw, aw, this is going to turn into like a very public display of bromance really soon. <laughs> but um, I don't know if you want to give any more background than that or not. Um, if, if uh, yeah, sure. You know, I'm just normal guy. Uh, I'm in business. You know what I mean? I sell to people who like guns, don't like guns, etc. Right. And uh, so for me, it's just always made more sense to kind of keep those two avenues separate. Right. And so uh, my background is not a cool guy, never been a cop, soldier, anything like that. But uh, from an early age, I was exposed to, you know, some really good firearms training. And then, you know, you learn some things and you want to learn more and then you want to learn more. And then all of a sudden it's 10 years later and you're at ECQC and Roger Shooting School and, you know, hanging out with, you know, Todd Green and Paul Gomez and, you know, Tom Givens and all these other greats. And then you just kind of keep going at a certain point. Yeah. You're having a good time. Yeah, you were you were probably the definition of 
in a positive way of what I think of as a hobbyist inside of this. Yeah. Um, no, I, I wear the hobbyist badge of pride. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. No, not at all. And what's funny is when, when that, you know, term was coined, uh, it was coined in a sort of insulting manner, but I actually thought it was a pretty accurate description for what some people were doing. And, you know, I, I don't have any problem with it either. Um, what I want to talk about is, you know, sort of, you mentioned Roger's shooting school. You're actually driving back from that right now, if, if, if I am correct. And you, you've been a couple times, right? This is my fourth time. I think the first time I went was about, about six years ago. Okay. Um, I guess what, you know, for, for those that don't know what that is, why don't you describe it real quick? And then we'll, we'll go from there. Rogers Shooting School is kind of two things. It's a, it's a training academy, like normal, right? Like, like many others like it, and it's institutional training academy. But also, it is the most challenging self-defense-oriented def, uh, shooting test in existence, right? And to me, the gold standard of you want to show me that you are a capable uh, handgun shooter show me your advanced pin from Rogers. Because if you can shoot the Rogers test advanced, to me, that is about as good an indication that you know how to handle a handgun in a very wide variety of situations. And uh, so for those who don't aren't aware of it, you can watch all the different tests and everything. It's test one through nine, uh, make up the test, which is all of them together, shot in sequence. And during the course of the test, you have to make 100, if, to get a perfect score, you have to make 125 head plates fall down over the course of the test. You have 125 opportunities, and if you get 110 or more, you get advanced. Right. And to me, if you can do 110 headlights of Rogers, you are a bad dude, because all the targets, except for a handful throughout the test, are eight-inch circles, everywhere from uh, uh, seven yards out to 21 yards, and exposures as quick as half a second to as long as you know a second and a half for the 21-yard sometimes, but as low as a second for the 21-yard headlights. You have to be able to left hand only put around on an eight inch plate at twenty one yards on demand, huh. which is challenging. Yeah, yeah, no, that sounds challenging. I, I'm not gonna lie, you like you said that, and I'm like, no, no. Um, but so you've been four times. I guess going in order from like your first time to this last time. Uh, what are sort of your observations? I know this time that you you went out with a a specific goal in mind. Um, and we can talk about that, you know, in a little bit, but just, just what are your general observations from time number one to this latest time? So my first time visiting, uh, it was, uh, you know, I knew little about it. All I really knew about it was that, uh, Paul Gomez and William April had told me to go, right. Which is unfortunate because it's two wonderful people that we can't talk to anymore. But both of them had told me, this is where you got to go. And the guy who planned the speed of doing it for concealment was William. When I heard William was doing it for concealment every time he went, and I was like, well, William's going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm not going to not be the cool guy. You right, know? right. And uh, so I heard about it first from Paul, and then I heard about it from others. You know, one of my training partners I'm here with right now, um, Dr. Vu, Vu was telling me, like, dude, you got to go, go to Rogers. I heard about it. He went to some Craig Douglas class, and Craig's prescription for Boo was to go to Rogers. So we kind of coordinated and said, hey, let's all go to Rogers. That seems to be the thing to do. And so we went the first time just blind, 
right? Like we knew very little about it. I didn't study the test. I didn't know the course of fire. I didn't know anything. And uh, I was a pretty capable shooter at the time still. And so my very first test, I made 105, which is intermediate. And then after that, I scored over 110 every test. And then my high that time was 121. So I had a swing of about, uh, what is that, uh, 16 points, right, mm. from my high to my low. Yeah. My second time I went, my goal was, hey, I want to clean it from concealment, 125. And so I trained very, very hard for that. Uh, for two months, I was shooting like a, a USPSA match, a steel match, a steel challenge match every week to warm up. I was doing an hour a night of dry fire, and I was doing uh, just everything I could to get ready, right? And I went into that one, but I had a lot of gun issues on that one. Like, my extractor on both my Glocks weren't working, and I was foolish. And instead of identifying that and removing that variable, I just fought against my gun and my ammo the whole time and uh, ended up walking away with a 124. I think my low was, like, 112 or something. So, again, about a 12-point swing. Um, my third time going, I, again, this time was the opposite. I had no preparation. I had just gotten promoted at work. I was working at the time, 80-hour weeks. I was, you know, out of shape, stressed out, you know, didn't get a practice all. I went to the range the Sunday before. I said, okay, well, you know, hopefully that's enough to carry me through. And uh, I went. I ended up shooting. I think my low was, again, about 112, something like that. And my high was uh, 123, which that was really interesting to me to find that working extremely hard versus just kind of going in and doing your best was a one-point swing on my high, right? right? And then this time, again, I was trying to say, hey, I want to go in. I want to, of course, try to shoot for the possible, which is 125 out of 125. And uh, I, I had more training than this last time. And the other variable I changed this time was I decided, hey, I want to, I want to, I, have, I was going to shoot an optic gun, but unfortunately I broke my SRO. But uh, I had a gun being built for me by uh, Ben Simonson at uh, Foresight, and he was able to get it to me just in time for Rogers. Like, I got it on, like, Wednesday, sighted it in on Thursday, and then drove up to Rogers on Friday. Huh. But he got it to me. And uh, so I said, you know what, this is a good gun. This is a good optic. I really like the SRO. Uh, so let me try it. And uh, I had my best performance so far at Rogers. I wasn't able to shoot the possible, unfortunately. But uh, my score was day one, 123. Day two, 124. Day three, 124. Day four, you shoot it twice, and I shot a 124 and a 123. Then day five, I shot a 124. And actually, the shot I missed was at the very last stage, and it was the first time I missed a shot on that stage, like, all week. Yeah. But it was just a a mental thing. Yeah. Not a gear thing. Well, and we're probably coming up on a break. Um yeah, let's do this. I, I kind of, I have a gear observation to make and then we'll, um, we'll get more into the mental side because I think that's more interesting, but, um, you know, we got to go to break either way. Right now we're talking with Kirk and you're listening to Ballistic Radio. Welcome back to Ballistic Radio brought to you by Centurion Arms, hard use rifles and accessories at Easy day prices. Visit them online at centurionarms.com. This segment brought to you by Wilson Compound. Wilson Compound makers of the finest custom 1911s and scatterguns since 1977. A legacy of quality, innovation, and service. Learn more about their firearms and accessories, as well as the EDC X series of firearms. 
which offers discriminating shooters 1911 match grade accuracy, superior ergonomics, and concealability with modern service pistol capacity as well as reliability at www.wilsoncombat.com. So we're talking with Kirk uh, about, well, right now his experiences at the Rogers Shooting School, but we'll, well, I'm sure we'll get into other things. And and you were saying this last time that you went, um, you you were more consistent than you've ever been. And and you brought up the fact that uh, you got a gun built from you uh, for you from Boresight Solutions, Ben Simonson, which, in my opinion, as far as the polymer pistol smiths go, I, I believe Ben to be the best in the world. And, and I, I don't say that lightly. Uh, and that's after quite a bit of exposure to other things. And it's not that the other things aren't good. I just, I just think Ben's are the best. Um, but... You know, I haven't talked about gear in a while on the show, and and it's not something that traditionally you have focused on either because, you know, in the time that I've known you, you've run pretty much stock pistols. And I'd be curious your thoughts on that as far as what, if anything, you think that did for you and whether or not they mirror my own, and maybe we could have a conversation about that for a minute. Sure. Uh, you know, my thinking behind being a mostly stock guy was uh, – for years and years and years, was I've been shooting Glock since about 2005. And uh, for me, I always just liked the idea that I could go anywhere in the world, anywhere in America, grab a Glock at any range or any school, like, and do just as good as I do on my best day. Like, I, I was enamored with that idea early on. Yeah. And uh, it is true. I think that's important. I think if you're so dependent on, oh, it's got to be this perfect unicorn gun, I don't, I don't, I don't know, man. I read... Uh, Book of the Five Rings is a very influential age, and I think it messed me up. I just, I just don't think it's very Budo, you know? Yeah. So, uh, however, I will say that having a – one of the people that really changed my mind on it was the last time I was at uh, Rogers, my third time, I met a shooter named Al, who's an old, old friend of Bill Rogers, who's also a friend. And we were talking about gear and stuff, and he was a big like USB fan, and IDPA guy back in the day, and he was like, dude, all these things come from the factory problem. You're silly if you don't fix them, you know? And that kind of stuck with me. You're like, you know what? They do all have problems. I've never ran into one that just worked perfect with no hiccups or kinks or weirdness, you know? And so uh, that kind of opened my mind to, well, hey, if I'm going to, like, optimize them a little bit with, like, a little bit of polishing or, you know, hey, let me replace that extractor with a different one because I don't like how it's extracted, et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. Um that kind of opened me to, well, you know, if I'm going to do that, how far of a jump really is it? And so I decided I've been shooting seriously for 20 years, and I've never had a gun set up how I liked it, right? I've always just kind of, like, made myself adapt to the gun. Right. And so I knew about Boresight. I'd shot yours. I'd shot uh, one of Scott Jedlinski's when I won. Actually, my last shot on the black belt patch, earning my black belt patch with Scott was with his Boresight gun because my MOS mountain had come loose. And uh, so I liked the guns. I knew they were quality. And I said, you know what? It's time. It's Corona time. This is back in, like, the spring, early spring. I was like, it's time to get something my way. And what I think the nice thing about a gun that's attuned to you is there's two things that are important on gear. You know, I really believe in the old idea of, you know, mindset, tactics, skill, gear, in order of descending importance. But it's also in order of ascending control. You control your gear absolutely as a you know regular citizen. You yeah. get a pick. It, you know, I think uh, some cool guy once said, you know, every gunfight is an open class event. 
right? Like you need to pick what you have. And so Chuck Pressburg, I want to say, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And very smart. I really like that. And so for me, the thing you're trying to get out of setting up your equipment is two things. You want to make sure that you know it intimately, like, and you do things like you check your holsters to make sure everything's screwed in right before you do something important. You lock tight what you need to lock tight. When you disassemble and clean your guns, you're looking for wear, all that kind of stuff. But the other thing you're trying to accomplish with your gear choices and selection is you want to have confidence in them. I mean, to me, any modification that doesn't hinder the reliability or the usability of your equipment, if you feel like it makes you shoot better or feel more confident or I just like how this feels, like, do it. Because you don't want to be thinking, oh, man, I wish I had X. Oh, I wish I'd done this. Oh, I wish I had this trigger while you're shooting. Because those intrusive thoughts will show up, especially when you're struggling, when you least need them to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and for me, the, you know, I, I've I've said in the past, uh, you know, if we use the, the example of like someone like Yo-Yo Ma, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a world-class musician. And you could put him anywhere and hand him like a high school band room cello and he's gonna play the hell out of that like in a way that just normal human beings are not even going to be able to get close to um but you hand him something like a stradivarius or or whatever and that's just a different thing it's not that he can't play the other ones uh it's just that removing the instrument as a variable really allows like the artist to come out, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know if, I don't know if people consider that or, I mean, and I think one of the problems with all of this is that, you know, people think that getting the cool thing is going to, you know, make them more than what they are. And that's not it. It's not going to make you no. more than what you are it's going to allow you to be what you are more consistently. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're removing variables, right? And that's what we are all trying to do, whether you're coming at this from a competitive or tactical or whatever focus, right? Like you want to control as many variables as you can control. And those might not always be the most important variables, but if I can have input on part of that equation, I'm going to take it whenever I can. Yeah. And that's kind of where my head's at on the equipment side of things. I still think of the two halves of equipment, I think the more important is knowing it really well, you know, being familiar with it, knowing something's right, knowing something's wrong. Be able to know, like, when you put the holster on, like, wait, something's not right here. Yeah. I need to, I need to inspect my screws or whatever. I think that's very, very important. I think that's something that's often overlooked. And then people come to gun class, and they're fighting their equipment all day. And when you're fighting your equipment, you can't enjoy it or learn. Right? Yeah. It's very challenging. And you've just wasted a lot of your time and money because you didn't know your stuff, right? Yeah. Let me ask you this. What um, what did you learn this this last week? Is there any one thing that um, sticks out in your mind that you're willing to share? No, of course. You know, um, for me... It was, of course, you know, frustrating, right? Shooting 124 four times and 123 twice, shooting for 125 is, you know, of course, not what you want, right? Yeah. But for me, what I got out of it is that my shooting is more than sufficient. Where I need to personally do work on is I need to work on uh, 
improving my match mindset kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I've never been a big USBSA guy or any of that. It just doesn't scratch the itch for me, right? And so, uh, but I know now that that's my homework. It's kind of like my last ECQC I went to. I've been to about half a dozen ECQC. My last ECQC, I knew, like, okay, my homework is I need to go get my purple belt in Jiu-Jitsu. And then after I do that, I'll come do another ECQC, right? And so for me, my homework right now is, okay, I need to do some time, shoot some tough matches, and really hone in on that, like, uh, that match mentality aspect of it, and then come back to Rogers and dominate it. Because, you know, my shooting's there. I just need to get my brain there. And right. that's every bit is challenging. Right. Well, and, and so people understand. I mean, you're saying, well, I want to shoot a 125 from concealment. And I need to point something out. Only one person's ever done that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's not like a – it's a big deal. It, it, it's, no, it's it's a really big it's, deal. It's sort of St. Gabe White has done it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Gabe's a super cool dude. And yeah. I, I love Gabe. I've taken his class. I'm a turbo pin holder. You know what I mean? He's an awesome guy. But for me, it was just like I love that idea that, you know, of William Abel saying, I'm going to shoot from concealment. I was like, dude, that's awesome. I want to do that too. Right. And I was like, well, I know it can be done, so I want to do it too, you know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, so the, the other thing about Rogers too is it's not just the test. The test is great, but you also get to interact with Bill Rogers and his training crew. And Bill is, you know, I mean, also, you know, a very high-level shooter, amazing, nice guy, you know, one of the, you know, grand old men of the training industry, the guy who invented the first, you know, thermoplastic holster, right, Safari Land and all that stuff. And he's just a wealth of knowledge. And getting to spend time with him, too, is also amazing. Right. Um, uh, well, we have to go to break. I was going to say, we have to go to break, and there's actually a specific concept that I want to discuss with you because I think you'll actually be sort of uniquely placed to discuss it. Um, but we'll get to that in a second. Right now we're talking with Kirk. You're listening to Ballistic Radio. Welcome back to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Centurion Arms. Hard-use rifles and accessories at easy day prices. Visit them online at centurionarms.com. This segment brought to you by BigTexOutdoors.com. BigTexOutdoors.com is the best place for you to find all of your everyday carry needs at the absolute best prices. Maybe you need all the lumens from ModLite at the lowest price? No problem. Spend too much time dry firing from a seated position and you've broken your SRO and you need to replace it? Well, BigTexOutdoors.com has those. Glock accessories, yes, fast, cheap shipping, 100% hassle-free returns, all that and more. And best of all, BigTexOutdoors.com has Ike. He's a good man and thorough. I like Ike. Everybody likes Ike and you'll like Ike too. Visit BigTexOutdoors.com today and find out what happens when every customer is a friend, not just an order. And I got to say, I threw that in just for you, Kirk. So. Oh, I loved it. Like, ironically, it was a Big Tex Outdoors ordered SRO that I broke in dry fire. Well, <laughs> you know, it, it happens. Hey, just don't drop them, and they're great. Yeah, of course. You're good. Um, now, I will. I, while we're on that, just real quick, I did go do a test. I haven't told anyone about it yet, but I did go. I took it to the range. I took that SRO with the shattered glass to the range see what I could do with it. And using bend and aiming concept with that shattered reticle, you can still shoot, I assure you, a two-second build drill from concealment and pass the sand super test. Well, and hold, that's when I stopped worrying about it. Hold on. Let me let me say this. You can shoot a two-second build drill from concealment and it pass the advanced super test. Other people, shattered glass or no, 
might not be able to. But I, I see what you're saying is that it's still a usable thing even if it's broken, um, which is actually really good to know because a lot of people um, just really freak out about stuff and they need to not. Um, the thing that I'd like to talk with you about is, you know, so you're talking about match mentality, and I sort of want to get into that a little bit. Now, one of the things in class, the way I've described that in the past is we need to demonstrate emotional control and try and remove ourselves um, as a negative as much as possible. Now, I, I was teaching up in Minnesota and, and uh, you know, my business partner, good friend Melody Lauer happened to be there. And, you know, Melody is amazing because she's really good at giving me feedback um, on anything that I do and and not like the warm and fuzzy feedback as far as like, oh, you're so awesome. But like, no, here's the the things that I can be better at. And we got into this conversation about it's not emotional control so much as emotional detachment. And and I, I haven't like fully like formed my opinion on that, but I'd be curious to get your thoughts as far as, you know, I know that you are a um, very deep thinker and a lot more mindful than most of the other shooters that I know. And when you say that you need to work on your match mindset, I was wondering if you could walk us through what you consider to be the deficiency based off of your experiences last week. Um, why you think it's a deficiency. And then, you know, we, we could discuss that a little bit if you're willing to. Oh yeah, man. Like, uh, you know, for me, the uh, the thing about it is use open a can of worms because I actually do have a philosophy degree, and I'll get in a, a distinction between resignation and the Kierkegaardian sense, and like versus the Buddhist sense and all that. I think uh, you know to be a Kierkegaardian for a minute, it's not that you want to renounce your desires, but it's about renouncing your expectation of your desires being fulfilled, which is a different thing, right? And uh, I think that fits into shooting very nicely. And I'll tell you what went wrong in my match mentality because uh, on on the uh, last test on Friday morning, uh, you know, I got some very good coaching from one of your new uh, business partners, uh, Chris. Yeah. And uh, he kind of gave me some tips on, because I just reached out to, hey, man, I need help. Like, I'm trying to get this 125. Yeah. And he gave me some really good kind of mental coaching about how to visualize, you know, everything going right and visualize things going wrong. Be fixing them and visualize going right. Remember, you're still a cool dude. If it doesn't work out, your family still loves you. You know, your dog will be happy when you see you all that. And it was very good coaching. And I'll tell you where I kind of fell off is I got to test nine. I cleaned everything. I cleaned everything, working very hard at it. And uh, I cleaned it with Bill Rogers standing over my shoulder. And I really like Bill. So, you know, I definitely want to impress, which doesn't help. And so uh, what we did was I got to that last test, and it's my best test. Like, all week I had people videoing me shoot it because, like, I would shoot it very, very quickly. It's a two-handed uh, stage with 21 shots, and uh, it's a very fast pace. When you think of Roger shooting tool in your imagination, people are usually thinking of test nine, right? Mm -hmm. And I cleaned it all week very aggressively. And the thought that crept into my mind was there's two problems. I came up to the line, and my electronic ear pro was turned off. And because we had a very mixed class this class, we had some very good people, but we also had a lot of people who just, like, you know, we're, we're kind of had like football bat mentality where they're going in, they're like, wait, is this stage left-handed? Oh no, I'm having a bad time. Uh, and I'm just like, dude, I got no time for your negativity. Like this is, 
this is not what I need right now. So I just turn my ear pro off so I don't overhear people, you know, talking about that. Right. So I walk up to the line with my ear pro off and I realize, oh, my ear pro's off. I don't like that. I need to fix that. So I'm messing with my ear pro when the first head plate comes up. I'm like, oh, Lord. Uh, yeah, I had, I had that happen at TACCON, actually, shooting against Gabe there White. That's not the place to do that. I'm no, it's not. Rogers or shooting <laughs> no, <Gabe>. it's not. <laughs> so, again, I'm thinking about something that doesn't matter. Right? I mean, really, objectively, doesn't matter. But, you know, human beings are superstitious. And, you know, well, I've got it with the ear pro on this whole time, so I must have it on. You know, and whatever. I try not to fight superstition. I mean, it, it can help you in shooting. As long as you believe something helps, it helps. And so I was measuring on the ear probe. It's fine. I recover. I clear the first relay. I reload my gun. The reload after the first relay is optional. So it's seven shots, a very optional reload. They give you like a second and a half, two seconds to do it. You have to go to cover to reload, come back out, shoot another seven. Then you get a long pause, shoot another seven. Well, in that second string... I miss a shot at the 21-yard head plate. No big deal. There's time for misses. Everyone misses. It happens. But instead of correcting like I did in my, uh, you know, mental practice that Chris set me up with, I just made the same shooting error like three times. Yep. Finally caught it. And then by the time I started going through everything else, it was, it was too late. I burned too much time because Rogers, Rogers is – totally unforgiving if you have two misses on something you can't clean it like it's just you won't have time no matter how good you are and so um the thought that i found really hurt me on that other than that early disruption and not being able to correctly diagnose that shot was going into that stage instead of being hyper focused on what i needed to accomplish i said man i got through test one through eight for me the hard tests are you know five, six, seven, and eight, and I cleaned all those. I'm a test nine. Test nine is my best test. Man, and I'm tired, but all I got to do is get through this, and I'm good. So I was thinking about results, and I wasn't thinking about process. And that's why I didn't turn my ear pro on. I wasn't thinking, you know what I mean? I'm behind the curve, and so I'm making poor decisions because I'm not allowing myself to be in my best space to do my best work. So for me, my shooting didn't fail me because I've shot that test clean five times that week. My shooting can accomplish it. But my mentality failed me. I let myself get undisciplined with what I was doing with my mind. And that cost me this year. And that's fine. Because now I know what I need to work on. And so when I come back, because I will come back, as long as Bill's here, I want to keep showing up. He's great. And uh, But now I know what I need to work on, which is really half the point of training, in my opinion. Right. Um, well, it's interesting, too, because, you know, I happen to be present for... Uh, so as you're describing missing that that shot... Uh, I've been present, you know, for, and, and again, like, you know, so people listening need to understand, like Kirk and I are at least on my end, really good friends. Um, so like, I'm the, just so that, you know, like, I'm not saying this to someone that I don't have, again, what I consider to be a very strong relationship, but like, I've seen you make that same error before. Um, and we've talked about that same error before, you know? As far as so, and and I've made that error before, and that is like, um, you know, once you reach a certain level, what, you know, I think one of the mistakes that people make, and I, and I'm not saying that you've, I'm not saying anything about what you've done or not done, but I know I've done it in the past. Is you keep reaching for top level performance and pushing your top level performance, like what is the most I am capable of. And folks don't spend enough time on the thing that you're talking about and, and, and what you're saying that you're going to work on, 
which at a certain point, the extra, you know, the work that it takes to get the extra hundredth or two hundredth of a second, you know, faster is not going to pay the same dividends that the, you know, the ability to focus when it matters is going to pay, right? No, absolutely not. And I mean, I think that's something a lot of people get get wrong. And, you know, the example where the exact same thing happened to me was actually at TACCON 18. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I went in I went into TACCON 18. My only goal going into TACCON 18 was to get into the, the, the top 16, right? I just want to get in the shoot-off. Yeah. I had, uh, I had eviscerated my left hand, you know, like five days before the match. It was all stitched up. It was a mess. It wasn't healing well. I wasn't able to practice like I wanted. I said, you know what? My hand is messed up, but, you know, I just want to make it into the top 16. Well, I made it, not just the top 16. I get into the, you know, one of the semifinals shooting at the Gabe, and Gabe takes the first one. I take the second one. And then on the third one, I just got too undisciplined. I got too, like, oh, man, I really want to get this early one. I'm thinking about things that don't matter. Right? Yeah. And learning how not to think about things that don't matter is really important, right? Because, I mean, Gabe and I shoot about the same, right? But Gabe's match mentality is better than mine. I would actually, so, I, I would say, and again, Gabe is a friend of mine, as well. And I actually think Gabe would say this too. Um, I think that you're actually probably a tiny bit more skilled than he is. And when I, when, when I, when I say this, um, at the level that we're talking about, it's very small, but it's there. Um, I think as you've noted that Gabe is, has got a better mindset, you know? So like if I, if I were playing, if I were like, the guy that was making the baseball cards or like the video game where you have to like assign stats to somebody. Yeah. I was thinking of the RPG stat sheet. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, like Gabe's match mentality is like 10. That bar is full. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there's nowhere else to go. Yeah. Cause, and the reason I say that is, you know, I remember your hand, your hand was in a splint dude. Um, you know, you had a splint on your hand and went one for one. Uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, I, I just want to say that because I think you're underselling yourself there just the tiniest bits. But but it is funny, though, how much more important the mindset side is. And, and that's kind of why we're, we're talking about it. Um, what do you think, you know, how, how do you how do you remove the urge or tendency to think about things that aren't important i think part of it is you need directed suffering i think that's very important <laughs> i think the best way to get there in my experience is brazilian jiu-jitsu but i mean wrestling judo mma will get you there too um because i think that's really good because you learn how to like hey this person's literally trying to kill me and i got to figure something out and something artful you know, if I can figure something artful out from here, I can reverse the situation. And I don't think there's really any substitute for that. Yeah. Uh, that grit is very important. And I definitely noticed the lack of grit I've had because, you know, I've been out no jiu-jitsu because of COVID. I've been out for six months, and that has definitely affected my mental performance. It's been harder because I just don't have as much grit as I'm used to. Right. The other thing I would say is that, I mean, think about it. There's all this stuff in the training community about, oh, I'll, I only train with tier one guys. Oh, no, I'll train with competitors. I'll train with this. You know, but what makes a tier one guy cool and what makes a top, top, you know, competitor cool, you know, someone like Ben Seger is both of them can execute on demand, right? Whether that's the perfect stage at Nationals or that's, you know, rappelling down a building and doing counter-terrorist stuff, right? It's that ability to say, this is what I'm going to do, follow through on it. When 
problems inevitably arise, they fix them and still get the results they need to get relative to the situation. Yeah. And that to me is what they share in common. And that to me is if you're trying to cultivate something, that's, that's dang near the top of your list, right? I, I think of like uh, Mark Llewell's shirt, right? About like the path and all that stuff. You know, if you can get your brain where it makes sense, I mean, how many times has, you know, we've seen, you know, Claude Werner or someone point out a video of, you know, grandma making it happen with the J-frame. You know, mm. it, it happens, right? Yeah. Because grandma had a plan. I'm not going to let this guy do the bad thing. And I want to do what I have to do. And a decisive plan executed quickly is better than, you know, perfection or that, you know, let's say your mugger is a USPSA grandmaster, but, you know, his, you know, his uh, STI is at home. Right. It, it won't help. It doesn't matter. Right. And so a good plan executed with aggression now is great. And that's what a high level, you know, like special forces guy or competitor, they can not just do a basic plan at a high level aggressively now. They can do complex like ballet <laughs> at a high level aggressively now. That's what makes them so impressive. Right. Um, we got to go to break and then we'll be in the last segment. And I, I have one more like weird esoteric thing to discuss. Uh, right now we're talking with Kirk. You're listening to Ballistic Radio. Welcome back to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Centurion Arms, hard-use rifles and accessories at easy day prices. Visit them online at centurionarms.com. So we're talking with Kirk about the stuff Kirk and I talk about when we're not on the radio. Um, and... You know, so we, we've sort of gotten into the mindset and things like that. At what point for most people do you think it becomes more important to, instead of focusing, so if we think of like performance, right, and our ability to do anything, we've got a high end, so that's our maximum ability, and then we've got a low end, which is how badly can I mess this up if I mess it up? And, you know, like, so... Not if, like, you roll a one on it, to use a D&D example, because not like a critical failure. But, like, let's say you roll a two. So it's not a, it's not a critical failure, but it's a failure. Like, so, and, that, and that's kind of like, so that's the bottom end. Top end is, is however high you can spike. Um, at what point do you think people should stop working and or worrying about their top end and just focus on bringing the bottom end as high up as they can, as close to their top end? Like, at what point in the path does that become the focus, at least for a little while? Well, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, like, let's go back to kind of RPG analysis. I think that slider of your top end and your low end, the higher you pick up your top end, the higher your low end is going to be, too. Sure. Right? Like, the absolute worst I did this week was 123 from concealment. And the best I've ever done before this was I hit 123 twice last time. And 124 once the time before that, right? Mm -hmm. And so the more you pick up your high end, like, it's, it's just better. I like the paradigm actually Gabe talked about is that, you know, you're a civilian, you're a citizen, you're a regular guy. Like, there's a conversation me and my training partners had to drive up. Like, being experienced, messing up your life and spending at least six figures, it's not worth it, right? So right. we don't want experience. We don't want to be in a gunfight. We don't want to be looking for trouble or anything like that, right? Yeah. But size, even the moral aspect of it. And so what you can do is skill, though. We can load up on skill. Now, how you do that is going to be different. And, again, back to that, you know, the path shirt that Mark Lowe made, because I think it's brilliant. Mark Lowe from Growing Up Guns. 
you know, you got to look at it as that RPG statue. Like, okay, well, what am I trying to accomplish? Like, what are my goals? Am I just trying to be ready to protect my family? Well, dude, if you have, like, a two-day gun class with sustainment dry fire, you know, then it's probably time to go look at the medical, you know, maybe start going to the gym, something like that. I think you probably get more out of being, you know, make sure you don't have any zeros on your stat meter. It's probably more important than making sure one thing's a 10. Yeah. Now, that being said, I really do believe you should have something that you're good at. Like, I think being just a true generalist, like, hey, I'm a, I'm a zero-stripe blue belt at everything. I'd rather be a two-stripe white belt at some things and, like, a black belt at one thing. Right. You know what I mean? I think having something that's a core where you have uh, depth and meaningful experience in will help you learn the other things and help you identify what's important versus what's not. Because, you know, a lot of what people talk about is not important. Well, and I, I think the other, like, part of that that, you know, from a self-defense aspect becomes important is if you are a black belt in something, um, incredibly skilled people handle themselves differently than people who are not. And we probably don't have enough time to get into why we think that is or think it isn't. But I think that bleeds over in ways that people don't consider as far as if you look competent, you know, so it doesn't really matter necessarily what you're competent at. People that are really competent at something carry themselves differently than people that are not competent at something. Um, and from a, from a avoidance and deselection as, you know, like consideration that becomes incredibly important. Absolutely. I mean, it's just, it's one of those things like no one's going to walk up like, like Paul Sharp is the nicest guy in the world. So you're not going to walk up and apologize like, oh yeah, let's roll over this guy. This is an easy score. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and it's just not going to happen. And uh, I think there's value in that, right? And you don't need to be some, you know, big, strong person. Our genetics are genetics, right? But being able to just look at someone and go, hmm, I don't know about that one. I mean, that, that is highly valuable. Yeah. And I think that's something that can only be achieved through earned confidence. You know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of fake confidence out there and a lot of people trying to buy confidence. You know, the idea of the whoopee or... I'll have a gun now, I'm safe. You know, don't be wrong, you're, you're safer as long as you have good safety and living with gun practices. But, you know, you really should know how can I draw that? How can I get at it? What are the scenarios in which it's useful? Because if you look at, you know, the, uh, the pie chart of potential defensive situations, like the situations in which you need a gun, that section of the pie chart is about as big as the section where having a gun on you is, is not good necessarily. If you get into like a fist fight with somebody, Having a gun on you might not be what you want because what if he finds it, right? And now you're in a different scenario. And so to have an idea of what that pie chart looks like, I think it's important to have earned confidence and be able to have an informed opinion that you can develop on your own. And you start by learning from other people, but over time you'll develop your own, I guess, path, for lack of a better way of putting it. Right. Um, let me ask you this, and this goes back to gear, and I just wanted to talk about it. Uh, you were very resistant to getting an optic on the gun for a very long time, and now you've you've gone and done this thing. What what are your general observations, and where's your opinion at now? I shoot about half and half irons and optics. Like I kind of switch back and forth. Like I'm not married to either system. Like you know, I think 
for me personally, I get less out of an optic than most people do because I'm, I'm a heretic, like with how I use my eyes. I'm not a big front sight focus guy. I have very bad double vision. Yeah. And so even while I was like, no, front sight focus, front sight focus, man, I would try. And it just, I see now two targets, two rear sights, and it's just unsat. I can't figure out fast enough which is which. And so I just started shooting with a soft focus uh, naturally. I think 90% of the benefit people get out of a dot is they get to start shooting with a soft focus on the target. And so, like, but I, I tell people, you can do the same thing with iron sights. You just need to learn how to do it. Yeah, right? yeah, and that's how and, I've always uh, shot them. So. Yeah, and I think, you know, you read Ben Sager's book, that's how he's shooting everything but really complex shots. He'll kind of zone in on the front sight for complex shots, but for general shooting, like 15 yards and in, you're using a target focus like 100% of the time with a lot of top competitive guys. And that's how I shot. So for me, the dot wasn't some, like, revelation, like, oh, my God, I can shoot so differently now. It was just like, oh, yeah, this is how I shoot. What the dot changes is that, like, my mental coaching when I'm shooting was always, you know, like, the three words I, I use when I'm talking to myself when I'm shooting something challenging are, you know, grip, press for trigger, right, Yeah. and uh, sights. Like, do I have enough sights? And because uh, different shots, you need different amounts. Like that T1 target, you can get away with murder. If you see red on the uh, plate, it's good enough. The T7 target at 21 yards, that 8-inch plate at 21 yards is only going to hang out there for one second. And that's one second of you seeing it go up. You have to transition to it and then hit it before it disappears. That's a very different sight picture and trigger press you need. And you need to be able to gear shift in and out of those correctly. Because if you shoot T1 like you shoot T7, well, T1 only appears for half a second. You don't have time to shoot it like that. But if you shoot T7 like T1, you will miss it. it like, it just it won't work, right? And so what the optic gives you is now my self-talk is just trigger and grip. I don't really have to think about sighting anymore. It's not, okay, is this a front sight situation or a target focus or maybe just ghost my left eye. I don't have to think about any of that. It's just dot. So it simplifies my self-talk. And for me, that's the biggest thing to get out of dot. I mean, if you're someone that just struggles to soft focus, target focus, then a dot may be highly helpful. But it is an additional layer of expense. I've broken two SROs. It's $1,100 of, you know, broke stuff. And uh, that is, you know, an issue. And I think it's a bigger issue than a lot of people think it is. And also just a level of, you know, we're still in the early days of dots. They're still like, oh, you have to buy these arcane screws from some, East German guy, and you have to go into the deep lore to figure out what kind of Loctite you need and how many foot pounds of torque. Like, we're we're not there yet. I think where it's just plug and play for most people, it's still a separate thing. So I really like the dot. I think it helped me shoot better because it simplified my self talk. But I don't think just picking up a dot will just make you shoot 100% better because there are times at Rogers this week where I presented and the dot wasn't where I wanted it. And it took me a second to find it. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's the big issue with the dot is you have to overcome that. And there are methods to do that. You take Scott Jedlinski's class. He's got a fantastic method on it. You know, you're a great dot shooter. You take your class and kind of like, like learn ways to mitigate that. But I mean, it is a true. Oh yeah. I grabbed the dot. I'm going to shoot a hundred times better. It's, it's not a solution. It's just an option. Right. Right. Well, we're coming up on the end of the show, man. What would be the final thought that you would leave everyone with? I mean, man, like, like not, not to be all big Lebowski and everyone, but just be cool, dude. 2020 is a weird year. Everyone needs to chill out a little bit. I would say that if you're a training type person, you got to really make some hard choices this next year because ammo is going to be hard to find. 
everywhere. And you really need to make sure you're spending that wisely. And I would recommend people really do some research on dry fire, either with, you know, Annette Evans or, you know, Ben Steger's book, and really figure out, hey, man, how am I going to split up my training time now that there is no jiu-jitsu, ammo's hard to get, there aren't matches, there's less classes. I really just have a game plan going into this year and next year and figure out a way to find worthy goals that are hard to achieve and then find your way through them. Awesome. Kirk, thanks so much, man. Um, I really appreciate you coming on, and I'm also looking forward to seeing you next week. That's going to be awesome. Hey, man. Uh, Can't wait, brother. Yeah, yeah, it'll be cool. Uh, but, but you know, stay safe, safe travels, uh, and I'll talk to you and see you soon. Hey, appreciate you, man. Have a good one. Right, you too. Oh, real quick. Yeah. I want to say shout-out mom, dad, and my wife, Amanda. God bless you all. Oh, oh, you're so sweet. Hey, guys, make sure you check out our website, BallisticRadio.com. Like our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash BallisticRadio. Jeez, I'm glad this is the last episode. I can't even say the name of the show anymore. And uh, keep leaving those five-star review on iTunes. It really helps us out. Only if you think we've earned it, though. Thanks for listening, everyone. As always, be safe. See you next week.